Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Thursday, June 2nd. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. If you're watching on YouTube, yes, I am in a different location. Yes, the camera angle is different and it does add 10 pounds. <laughs> I'm excited though. I'm excited we're doing this show. Doing it from San Diego, actually. And I think I'm at a distance where Uncle Rico would think he could throw a football over Petco. I, I think that's about how close to Petco I am right now. Ah, the convention center. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so on this episode, lots of ground to cover. We are going to talk about the 2022 first round and kind of have a redo. Talk about some players that maybe would have fallen out of the first round if we were drafting again today for the rest of the season. It's a good excuse to talk about some players that don't necessarily come up in the early months of the season. We'll talk about a few big risers who might join that first round status and even bump up into the top 40 or 50 overall if they weren't previously there, thanks to the first two months that they have had. We're going to have a prospect of the week, going to have a few mailbag questions, and I think we're going to have a triumphant return of beer of the month as well. So a jam-packed show. I figured since we only got one this week, we got to make it count and get get all the hits in there, play uh, play all the best segments. We got There was a request for a doggy update, doggy training update. Um, mm. I've had to separate the dogs for their morning walks, uh, in order to really get the training down because they do aggravate each other like a pair of little brothers. And, uh, the, one of the dogs is amazing right now. He has been totally trained to whenever he sees a dog or a human or anything that makes him nervous, he looks to me because he knows that he's getting a treat. So he's now associated anything that looks at all scary with me, like turning to me and getting a treat. And so he, uh, Iggy, Iggy Pup, uh, is really like, I, he even like let a really big dog walk by without being uh, upset and then even made a, a slight move towards the butt. So there was like almost normal <laughs> dog behavior. I was like, oh my God, did you almost sniff his butt? I was like super over the moon. The other one now, we're not supposed to pick favorites with dogs and children. So I will not speculate on why, but the other one's not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> Buster Dog is oh, not quite getting it. He keeps looking back at me for a treat when there is no reason to look back at me. Uh, and he still gets pretty rigid uh, when he sees other dogs. The one thing I have noticed, it has gotten a little better. But he is he does expect treats generally. So I can, if the, there is sort of something happening where he is like engaged with a dog, I can tell him to sit and he, he'll he do it because he knows there's a treat because we're on a walk. So like he's he's gotten better. It's a little bit better, but he's more at the meh stage, whereas Iggy is uh, a new a new dog. Unfortunately, when you put them back together, it's the lowest common denominator. Right. Yeah. Iggy takes on the buster characteristics when they're together, right? Whips him into a frenzy. I get it. Well, he's barking. I guess I should bark. <laughs> Obviously, there's a threat. Got to bark back. So I think that's still progress, though. Yeah. And uh, Iggy might be a little closer to oh, meeting Hazel. for sure. It's gotten better. That's right. Maybe we could just take one. <laughs> right. One, one dog visit. We can get away with that. <laughs> so let's get back to the 2022 first round, take a look at some surprises and, and talk about some players that might be in that group. Because I, I do think the longer I played fantasy baseball, the more I wish we had drafts for the rest of the season that we're starting up right now or a month from now. And part of that exercise would be evaluating all the players again and appropriately adjusting them upwards and downwards. And uh, if you go back to the first round back in April, last week of drafts, NFBC ADP, 
I'll just run through the names so everyone has a quick refresher. We've got Trey Turner in that one spot, Jose Ramirez, Juan Soto, Vlad Jr. and Bo Bichette rounding out the top five, Garrett Cole, Shohei Otani, Bryce Harper, Corbin Burns, and Kyle Tucker, six through ten, and then Raphael Devers, Mike Trout, Luis Robert, Mookie Betts, and Walker Bueller closing out the first round. Now, in that group, as I read those names, there were probably three names that got people's spidey senses tingling as a, hmm, not sure that player is a first rounder again. Maybe there's as many as four or five. Injuries, of course, can be a factor uh, in something like that. I just want to ask you, of those names, who st- who stands out to you? Who, who doesn't seem like they necessarily belong in that group now, even though they were pretty firmly in that group just two months ago? Well, I'm, I'm going to take the easy one. <laughs> Walker Bueller. <laughs> Thanks for taking the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> this is cheating. I'll take the guy who was last in the round. <laughs> I'll take the least convincing guy in the first place. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to uh, to highlight him really quickly because his uh, stuff number has fallen off. And, you know, he still is decent when it comes to that. But it's much more decent these days than anything else. Um, and... Uh, you know, the fastball itself is also being hit pretty hard. Uh, so he's, uh, I think this is maybe a decent time to sell him in Dynasty Leagues and Keeper Leagues. Um, because I don't think he's necessarily a first rounder next year. And I don't think uh, he's, uh, what's also a, 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 just sort of a, a top level thing. I think this first round is pretty amazing for um, how few like uber busts. Like, really, nobody here is costing you a championship. No, not necessarily. I mean, if you... Yes, it would be better to have the $50 Jose Ramirez than the $16 Jose Juan Soto. Yes, that would be better. Uh, but I still getting a $16 player in the first round, that's why we buy first rounders. It's like the worst case scenario, they still end up being like a $30 player over the course of the year or a $20 player. So, like, I, I, I don't... I don't think there's anybody here that's really, really costing you the season. Even if I had been maybe a little bit aggressive on Kyle Tucker uh, as another name that could possibly fall out, um, I, I think two things. I think there's more left for Tucker to write. He he seems to be kind of a slow starter. And in, if you look at the underlying things in terms of chase rates and barrel rates and contact rates, it's all good. And he stole eight bases, even though he doesn't have great speed. There's even a, a story on The Athletic about how he makes the most of his stolen base speed and you know his speed and 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 makes and steals bases. So um you know I, I don't think Kyle Tucker is necessarily going to fall out. So I would say to you do you think there's an obvious one because as bad as maybe Soto, Vlad and Bichette have been I'm not I'm not pushing them out of the first round, dude. I don't think I would either. Maybe and- Bo, I mean we were we were kind of out on Bo as of at his price at the beginning of the season. But, the, but it, I mean, he might be back in on him if he's back to being like a guy you get around the turn, you know? Right. And I think that's where he'd fall, right? So maybe he'd fall out of the first round, but he wouldn't fall past pick 18, 19, that range. So he'd be a, at least part-time first rounder, depending on who's in that position and how aggressive they want to be, because we're still talking about a five-category player. The underlying numbers upon last check-in were still good enough where there was no reason to think that what we saw throughout April is going to continue through the next five months. I think he's shown some signs of life 
in recent weeks. I mean, this is a Jays offense that's underperformed as a whole, too, though. Like, this yeah. is a group that has not done what we expected, and Pressing. that drags down some of that value. Yeah, they're chasing more than they usually do. And and Bo Bichette also was hurt more than a lot of people. This is what I'm going to be writing about uh, for tomorrow. He was hurt more than a lot of people by this ball. Because if you are an opposite field hitter, uh, I got news for you. It's not good. It's not good with this ball. It, it can be okay for batting average, but it's not good for your power. And the reason is... Uh, opposite for the five loss. Like, I think it's something that we all kind of knew when we were watching 2019 happen. You're like, oh, look at that oppo can of corn. No, that was a homer. And I, in fact, had some, like, I was just like talking to somebody in the, in the, in a clubhouse. I don't even know who it was, not a player, but somebody who was like around a team. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to miss all the opposite field homers. So, you know, Bo Bichette, opposite field fly ball hitter, uh, opposite field fly balls. Uh, home runs for fly balls went from at their peak 7% in 2019 to this year 3.5%. So they cut in half. Opposite field fly, fly ball, the opposite field homers have been cut in half. Um, and so I think that's a really affected Bo. But, you know, Bo can still be uh, a really good hitter at, uh, you know, 18 to 21 homers and, uh, you know, 15 to 20 steals. So. You know, that kind of player is still going to go in the first couple of rounds. I think. Yeah, I think so. I, I think the natural follow-up question I had is, is Bo Bichette from a speed perspective, is he actually a lot like Kyle Tucker where he's very efficient as a base dealer, but he's not necessarily a burner. He's 56 percentile in sprint speed. So does that bring us to some longer term questions about how viable he is in that category? I guess that'd be the, the only other hole I can poke in the case for him to remain a late first rounder would just be some skepticism about how long that speed's actually going to be there. I didn't know that. 56 percentile. Now now you pair this uh, hand in hand with, have you seen how many times he's been caught this year? I'm going to guess four. Dude, not bad. He's taken off seven times, been caught three. That's not good. That's that's not going to earn you the green light going forward. Mm Mm-mm. No. And the K rate's up right now. What if he's a 260 2010 uh, player? Then you might actually slide into the third round. Who was somebody like that uh, going into this year? 260 2010 might even be a tick lower than that. Um, I mean, geez, we were talking about Brian Reynolds a few weeks ago as someone that had significantly lower expectations. And I feel like the numbers that came out for him weren't that much different. Lindor. That was a preseason yeah. Lindor projection. And that was Lindor both fourth was or fifth not round. a second rounder. No, but here's the thing. Some of this could just be normal variance, right? We've talked about uh, it with yeah, the what rolling if he drafts. Has a, and, a hot August. What if the ball flies out better? What if he does get it back up to 25 homers? Right, because I ran the Rotowire earn values for the season for 15-team mixed leagues, and Francisco Lindor is at $39. So based on what he's done so far, he's performed like a first-rounder. He's been a first-rounder before. Does that give us some sort of comfort, guidance, instruction as far as being patient with Bo Bichette or adjusting expectations with him? I mean, I, I it, it's, it's more of an open question than one I expect to have a, a clear-cut answer to. But I think he'd be on that list of players you'd be thinking about as a possible player at the one-two turn if you were drafting today for the rest of the season because the Mets offense has taken that leap. They've become one of the higher scoring mm. teams in the league. And I think 
aside from that power speed combo, you're now getting that extra juice in those other two categories from Lindor. You know, and you know, Lindor uh, barrels less than Bo Bichette, uh generally, uh, but he also um, he pulls his barrels. You know, he's a pull hitter, and pulled barrels outperform opposite field barrels. Uh, so, I think I might rather Lindor than Bo Bichette. I knew like, it was coming now and next year. Is that possible? Is that dumb? I mean, Lindor's a little bit older. The park is not as nice. But he's also not... He's 7 for 9 when it comes to, to to base stealing. So I feel like he's, you know, a better bet to continue to get the green light. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting question at this point. Maybe we can throw that out there as a poll question after the show and see where the the audience and the Twitter sphere as a whole are on that one. But it's much, much closer than anybody would have ever said back on draft day. I don't think there was anybody I saw or heard at that time saying, you know what, I'm going to wait on Bichette in the first round because Lindor four or five rounds later is going to be there. And I think he can be just as good, if not better. That was not out there. And Bo's not the only Blue Jay underperforming relative to the lofty expectations. Vlad Jr., we had a mailbag question about him. Basically, it was just a question, is there anything wrong in the underlying numbers? I don't think it was a panic email saying, I got to get rid of him. I feel like I should move him right now. It was more just the bounce back is coming. Right. I mean, what do you see when you look at some of the underlying numbers from Vlad Jr.? I'm not very concerned. Uh, he's chasing a little bit more. And I do think it's actually just I think it's pressing because I'm sure he sees himself as a leader uh, on this lineup. He said things like I'm going for the triple crown, that sort of deal. Um, so if the team is not scoring runs, I feel like he might put it on himself to to maybe swing a little bit extra and and, and maybe, you know, drive that run in. Um, I think that uh, like a good week from the team could lessen that burden. I know this is psych speak, uh, (laughs) and maybe it doesn't mean anything, but I'm just saying like looking at the various things that, yeah, some of the ground balls came back, but if you looked at last year, um, he was hitting fewer ground balls early and then over the course of the season was hitting ground balls again. So I think that he just generally has a little bit lower launch angle and maybe 48 will look back and say 48 homers was a product of Dunedin, Buffalo, peak season, all that stuff. He never got back to 48. That's cool. I think he can still be a really good player, not at 48. So, uh, you know, I think he'll probably hit close to 300 with 25 at least more homers so you'll get to the end of the season he'll be at 275 280 with 35 37 homers that's what you wanted right i mean you weren't necessarily expecting 311 and 48 homers again and i don't think i want to take the power ceiling and lower it just yet for vlad jr i mean we're talking about a guy that still hits the ball very hard he's running a hard hit rate above 50 percent for the third consecutive season. Great max power. Yeah, the essence of the raw power is all still there. I think, yeah, chasing a little bit, I could I can explain it to myself the way you explain it and, and be satisfied with that explanation. I don't know if our listeners are all just like, yeah, that makes sense. We're cool with that. But <laughs> but it, it does make sense to me that this is a team that had lofty expectations. They expected to contend for and win the AL East and make a run at the World Series. And Vlad wanted to play at that that MVP level. And I think when you do that, you can, you can press a little bit. 
All that is to say, I think the big bounce back is coming. I see way more good than bad in his underlying profile. So for every bit of concern that you expressed about Bo Bichette a few minutes ago and that he might not be a first rounder, really an easy first rounder, Vlad, yeah. I don't see it for Vlad either. And I think it's interesting that Soto is kind of going through some struggles of his own because they were the two they were the two mashers that don't really run. Don't Soto runs run. some. Vlad doesn't I was run at all. Say, is there is there a lesson here to be learned about making sure you get steals in the first round? I mean, Bo Bo's still because Bo's still on that list of underperformers. Right. I I don't think there is a lesson in this particular instance. I just how think about this? Is there a lesson in the ball ground ball hitters avoiding ground ball hitters? <sighs> no, because if you'd done that, you would have missed out on. On Vlad last year. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Soto, what's really wrong with his approach? Like, I I see nothing wrong with this. His his whole career has looked slightly like this. too many ground. Yeah, slightly too many ground balls. I'd say. But I mean, it, it's but he's done this forever. That's what he did last year too. And the fact that he's only twenty three, there could be a year where he makes one more adjustment and starts hitting the ball in the air more often, and all of a sudden he's got a forty percent ground ball rate, and then he's popping fifty homers. Like that yeah. is easily within range. I think the Soto question and the Vlad Jr. question does point back to the ball, though. Even though you don't expect them to hit the bulk of their home runs to the opposite field, how much has their overall performance been reduced because of the ball in those specific environments? I know Jason Stark wrote about it. For the Phillies, Citizens Bank Ballpark is playing completely differently right now. The humidor is the only explanation for that. We have to start looking at that in each ballpark to see just how much things have actually changed. We know we've talked about this topic so many times on our show that it's, it is a significant part of why things are the way they are so far in 2022. And the better the player, the more likely I am to go to the ball in the humidor as the most likely explanation if we don't see massive shifts in O-swing percentage and K-rate spikes and ground ball rate spikes and the things that we're usually looking at. Yeah, there's still that possibility that we have this just weird sliding thing where April's going to be worse than in years past because the humidor is putting water into the balls and then August is going to be even more hitter friendly than it was in the past because the air is humid, which leads to more uh, homers and the ball will be drier relative to it was in the past because the humidor will be pulling water out in August. That's still a possibility. And it's infuriating as all hell because it's not an easy thing to just explain on the radio real quickly. (laughs) It's not, (laughs) it doesn't make for a great sound bite. It sounds, it makes me sound like I'm uh, trying to weasel out of a bad prediction or a bad piece that I wrote or, you know what I mean? Like it, 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 uh, you know, give it time is not something that people want to hear in fantasy or, or when it comes to prognostication. So, uh, I, I see the process for Soto is about the same as it ever was. In fact, second best fly ball rate of his career. So, you know, what, what's, what's he doing wrong? I don't see it. If, if there's anything he's doing wrong, I currently do not see it. I would say the same probably holds true for Garrett Cole. I think part of the reason why Garrett Cole's earned value is down is because the wins haven't been there. He's only got four wins so far this season on a team that wins all the time. ERA, whip in line with last season. K rate still really good. Control still solid. Home run rate is actually down from where it was last year. Like I see nothing at a glance 
that makes Garrett Cole look different now than he looked a year ago. Yeah, I mean, top five starters by Stuff Plus right now. I don't know if you count Strider or not, uh, but past uh, Strider, you've got Hunter Green, one, uh, Shohei Otani, two, Corbin Burns, three, uh, and Garrett Cole, four. Uh, and of those guys, he's the only one, uh, uh, Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns and him are the only ones that have above average locations. So there's not, I mean, from the model standpoint, there's nothing uh, going on that's wrong with him. Um, I, I don't I don't know why he would lose wins. I mean, they could maybe take him out early uh, because they have such a great bullpen. They have guys like Michael King and Clark Schmidt, but... I don't see him as a five and dive, you know, like he's not a guy who you're itching to get out of the game. So um, I, I just think the wins are awful. <laughs> the wins are so yeah. hard. Uh, that's part of why I had, you know, guy like guys like Drew Rasmus and Hive, because I was like, uh, yeah, he won't get as many wins, but nobody's getting wins. No, it's just so difficult to predict where they're going to come from. Look at the, look at the earned value for like the only, uh, pitcher, uh, because Otani is just a special case. So did you, for his value, did you add hitter versus pitcher? Did you add hitter and pitcher? I actually don't think I think that was only his hitter value. Uh, okay. So then, you know, you look at the three pitchers that went in the first round Garrett Cole, 17, Corbin Burns, $29 earned, uh, and Walker Bueller, $12 earned. Like, I just continue to think that first round pitchers aren't worth it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a, a reasonable conclusion. I think the problem is you end up having to still address pitchers relatively early in this climate because scarcity becomes a, a major problem. Everyone generally is pushing pitching more than ever. So even if you don't go in the first round, you got to correctly ID second, third, fourth round pitchers. Or you could try the Tyler Maley SP1. Um, that's one of my worst teams, <laughs> by the way. If you wanted to, if you cared about an update on that, that team was an eighth out of fifteen. It's I think of my NFC You're moving up my in the world. <laughs> Creeping up, but they are not feeling great about the strategy in that particular instance. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. But let's talk about some of the possible risers, rest of season first rounders who weren't there. I mean, Aaron Judge, I think, would be the easiest candidate to just move up there, right? Aaron Judge would be, if we were drafting today for the rest of the season, is he falling fast past pick 10? It's, I just wonder if it's a trap. It's just the health thing, you know? It's like he has the great health season, moves in the first round, and then he doesn't have the great health season again. Yeah, could leave the Yankees too. Right, and will the stadium play as nicely? No, I mean, yeah, I think he's a first-rounder. I'm not going to wish-washy this one. 
he'd go up, and then that would be the first player up that bumps Walker Bueller out. Yeah, Walker Bueller. Uh, I think Walker Bueller, Bo Bichette, and Luis Robert are the, the, the three that I would think are the softest. I think Robert would actually have a chance to stay in, though, because if you look on a per-game basis, I know he lost some time to the COVID IL. I think he mm-hmm. had a hamstring strain or a quad or something. Yeah, he really 34 games. It. Six and six, six homers, six steals. I mean, you look at that pace. It's about a 30-30 pace or just underneath it with a good average, lower K really rate than before. Really strikeout rate again, yeah. Two things, though, that would give you some pause. O-swing percentage was already high. It's up Still again, higher. 47.6%. And the ground ball rate, which wasn't previously an issue, up at 52.2% so far. And that doesn't seem like part of his true profile to me. That, that seems a little bit fluky. Over about a hundred. Maybe that's how he's making more contact as he's swinging at some pitches on his own and you know making not as great contact. Maybe, but I I think he'd probably have a shot of staying up in that range. Even maybe he becomes a, a turn player, a one-two turn guy where the ADP is not top fifteen, but there are drafts where he's still going just as early as he was going before. I don't think anyone's bumping Paul Goldschmidt up to the first round, but he would go earlier for sure because he has been on fire and. I think the Cardinals offense is also a little bit better than I expected as a whole. So those counting stats are going to be even better than some people might have projected. This this guy, not not Pete Alonso at 42, but Manny Machado at $40 earned. He was already, I, I think I did take him in the first round in one of the late ones. Um, or or I just took him at the turn. But he was so close to the first round. And then I, I just think that, like a shout out to consistency, man. You know what I mean? Like. There's just something just kind of appealing about being like, can I just book a like a 280 average, 30, like, you know, 25 to 30 homers and 10 steals from a from a position that, you know, does get a little bit rough after the, the first few guys go in third base. It's it's like not it's a sneaky, sneaky, uh, scarce kind of a, a, a position. I, I think I'm going to I'm going to make my case for Manny and. Uh, Judge in and Walker Bueller and Boba shut out. It's fair. The uh, the Goldschmidt thing for just a moment. He had a K rate up around twenty five percent, even a tick above that his last season in Arizona. Kept it at twenty four point three percent his first year in St Louis, and has been at twenty percent or under since the pandemic shortened twenty twenty season. So he's reversed the trend with his K rate. He's still stealing bases. He's three for three this season. He was twelve for twelve last season. Popped the 31 home runs a year ago on a similar power pace. And as I mentioned before, I think the runs in RBIs currently are tracking to be even a notch better than they were last year. They might be more like peak Goldschmidt, 110 runs and 115 to 120 RBIs if the current production holds. And I realize he's not going to hit 353, 429, 625 all season long. But I think every draft season for about the last three or four there have been people saying, yeah, Goldschmidt is boring, and I think we are among them. He's kind of oatmeal-y, like really good oatmeal, maybe oatmeal with walnuts and, and apples mm-hmm. and nice things added on top, but he's still oatmeal. I think he's proven us wrong. I think he's showing us that, no, I'm actually more of like a Hall of Famer, and you guys should stop <laughs> doubting me because I'm in my mid-30s. And yet, <laughs> am I going to push a 35-year-old into the first round? Uh, not in many, the first round, but he was still like, think about where he was going. He wasn't, he wasn't even going in the first three rounds. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's a, he's, a, he's someone who deserves to go in the second round. Probably. 
and might go in the third because of his age. Right. It's not easy to 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 point at one little thing. One thing he's doing this year, this that he hasn't done in the past, and it's not. It can't be the reason why he's uh, cut his K rate in St. Louis, but he's having the best year he's ever had against sliders. And so I wonder if there's just something that happened in St. Louis with uh, an approach change where sometimes maybe he just sits sliders and maybe Mm -hmm. he just kind of alternates between sitting fastball and sitting slider and it doesn't affect his bat speed. He doesn't get, you know, he doesn't get too slow, uh, but then sometimes he can just really wallop a slider. I don't know. There seems to be like some sort of approach change there Uh, because it's not about uh swinging at balls like his his chase rate didn't really change it's not uh, there's a little bit of a, a change in his ground ball rate but the change in his ground ball rate came before this change in his strikeout rate so i don't really see what exactly he's doing differently but yeah it's now since the start of 2020 a 20 strikeout rate and that that does change things because he had a 300 batting average with a strikeout rate higher than that before uh, so that means that maybe it's he's a little bit more viable as a 300 hitter uh, for the next few seasons, even as right. his stolen bases kind of, you know, kind of go away a little bit. I think it, it closes the gap between Goldschmidt and Freddie Freeman. You know, mm-hmm. I think previously that was part of the categorical gap was eh, we get some concerns about the Goldie average. Freeman might even get you up to like 310 in a good year. Goldie could hit 260. It's, it's more like like a 10 point difference between those two guys. And the, here's a, a big difference between Goldie and Freeman is how much they pull the ball. And Freeman is going to be in my piece. He's an opposite field fly ball hitter. He's having some of the worst power numbers of his career. And I think these things are related with the, the new ball, humidor, you know, opposite field fly ball connection. So um, it might be that now Freddie is more of a 20 homer hitter again. Like he was early in his career. There's another, would you rather almost like a Lindor Bichette, you know, not, not quite the same because the ages are different, but uh, I think we're getting pretty close to, I'd rather have Goldschmidt over Freeman. I'd probably be a little more stubborn on that one and still want Freeman. But again, I think that gap is, is much smaller and it's a question well worth asking. I think the question I have about these players that are, you know, previously opposite field hitters, Part of that is a is a skill, and part of it's a choice too. Like yeah. you, you have the ability to take those outside pitches and, and drive them the other way. So at a certain point, if you're not being rewarded for doing that anymore, can you make on the fly adjustments to pull the ball more often? Can Freeman do that? Can Bichette do that? Can other players actually make that change relatively easily? Is that something that happens in season, or is that something that happens more in the off season? I think a change in approach can be done in season. It's just a question of, am I looking to pull the ball or am I looking to, you know, am I going to let the ball travel? That seems like a, a toggle you can do pretty quickly. The one question I would ask is, if you're Freddie Freeman and you're hitting 295 um, and your your team is doing really well and you're, overall your WRC plus is you're 41% better than league average, is there any reason to change? I mean, it's not like you care about someone's fantasy league. No, you already got your six-year deal. You're signed for 2027. <laughs> exactly. Your team's winning. So why would you mess with something right now? Again, is your hitting maybe coach even telling later. you to 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 mess with it? You know, what I mean, and it's got the he's got the lowest strikeout rate of his career. Like these, he's covering the plate really well. It's just, uh, it's not uh, his best approach for power. 
also getting to that point where things are, are warming up quite a bit too. The ball might start flying a little better for him. That could make up some of that ground. But we have seen some pretty significant fluctuations in power. Go back to the year before the rabbit ball year. Freddie Freeman was 28 years old, played in every single game for Atlanta that season, and hit 23 home 23 runs. 23 homers, yeah. In a great year. That could be that could be his true talent, especially since the ball is pretty much 2017, 2018 ball right now. It's like they kind of pushed it to to before the juice ball era. Maybe it's 2015 ball. He had 18 homers that year. As someone with children, are you looking forward to explaining to your kids the the different ball eras of baseball from this past decade? Is this something you're looking forward to someday? This is my household, dude. They've already we've we've already been talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's already been discussed. It's already known. been discussed. I don't know. I don't know if it all got through. I mean, they're ten and seven, but uh, I I I bet you they'll surprise me with. We'll be discussing something. They'll be like, "But that was 2019, right, Dad?" <laughs> I hope they're having intellectual debates with their classmates about baseball and using the changing ball in their arguments that would <laughs> that would crack me up if there was just a group of kids at recess arguing was a about juice baseball ball. <laughs> the other kids like 1987 <laughs> yeah it sounds like a made-up year that never happened <laughs> uh, some other quick movers here ty france came up a few weeks ago still sitting at 32 dollars for his earned value this season i saw cj crone at 37 obviously not a first rounder but someone that would go a bit earlier now than he did going into the season i think he's among the players you'd say there's still pretty significant injury risk there and there's also risk that he ends up getting traded there's no guarantee that colorado holds on to him all season so that would change a lot about his offensive profile not getting to play half his games at coors field anymore uh, but Tommy Edmonds, a guy that I think the draft market was relatively skeptical about, he would probably go earlier. Acuna being healthy. There's another name. He He's nine for nine as a base dealer in 22 games. Is there any better sign that he feels oh, confident go, in his he's leg? He's going back into the first round. Yeah, that's now we're now we got too many first rounders. We got to kick somebody else out. Yeah, Acuna's going back in because the only question was, would he still be? I mean, yeah, he hasn't hit for power yet, but I don't see the opposite field problem with him. He's got fewer sample than like, right. He's got fewer IVs than everybody else. He's, his, his max EV is still where he wanted. His barrel percentage is 16%. Still very good. Like I, I think he's going to go on a power tear. And the biggest question was how many bases would he steal coming off of this? And he's answering that one. So I think Kukunia goes back in the first round. I've got one more. Would you rather for you? I think Acuna is definitely a first rounder for drafting day for the rest of the season. Arguably a top five player. I think you could see yeah. people pushing him that high. If you were looking at Luis Robert and Julio Rodriguez at the one-two turn, is there a case for Rodriguez that early, given how much he has been running and given how difficult it is to find steals and how quickly he's making adjustments? Because if you said predict his 2023 ADP on June 2nd of 2022, I would say Julio Rodriguez probably flirts with the top 15, probably ends up closer to like pick 20 or 25, but... I think he's got that that huge green up arrow next to his name right now. I, like I, I took him in my main, and it's part of the reason why I'm I'm pushing uh, into the top five in my main and have any chance at all. So I, I'm super happy about that. Uh, O'Neill Cruz, please, 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 please call up O'Neill Cruz. Um, but uh, I'm taking Luis Robert because Robert has uh, cut the strikeout rate and has demonstrated more power. And 
Uh, you still got a 51% ground ball rate on Julio Rodriguez. And yes, Luis has a similar one right now, but he hasn't always had that one. You know, if he goes back to the, you know, 45, 40% ground ball rate days, then he's going to hit way more homers than Julio Rodriguez. Right now, the projections suggest that Julio will end with 18 homers and 30 steals. Oh, that's really nice. He's going to go in the top three rounds next year. But I just uh, I think uh, Robert goes before him. All right, so Judge Machado and Acuna are the three position players that we're saying would jump in for sure. So three come off the bottom. Yeah. Who who are your biggest pitcher earners? I think the biggest pitcher earners that aren't in there that could be in there are Shane McClanahan at 30 and Justin Mm -hmm. Verlander at 29. And I think the thing that would only – the only thing that's working against really both of them, more specifically Verlander, is it really seems like workload over the course of the season could become an issue. Uh, At the same time, there's there's not a lot of evidence of that, is there? There's uh, there well, there is evidence that he's not quite who he used to be. I mean, you can just look at the swing strike rates, look at his ride on his fastball. So, um, I, I do think there is a chance. Remember what was kind of happening with him was like the home run rate was going up, especially during the juice ball era. That's why he was like one of the people that was most mad about it. <laughs> um, I could see like if you look at zips, they give him a one point six homer per nine for the rest of the season. I don't know if that's too aggressive. The bat gives him basically what he's doing, 1.18. I kind of uh, am in between there. I think he could actually, the the home run rate could increase from where it is now. That that would be something that would happen with, with lack of ride, right? Because you would throw it high in the zone, and as the weather warms, uh, those turn into homers. So I, just given the fact that he's 39, and uh, I, I'm just not... I, I wouldn't take him in the first round. But Shane McClanahan, man, everything that I wanted him to do stuff-wise, he's done. He's added a ride to his fastball. His fastball shape is better. The fastball velo is really good. Uh, There's there's nothing, you know, he even increased the drop on his his, uh, breaking balls. And, you know, he's keeping uh, that slider at 89. Apparently, there's a a thing from a, a driveline guy that was showing that uh, if you throw a slider that's over 85 miles per hour, it's almost hard to have a bad one. Um, Mm. And so, you know, he throws a really hard slider, has a really good curve, has improved the shape on everything. And I asked him about it, and it was the simplest thing. It was funny, too, because they they were locked out, right? And they they didn't have coaches. And I was like, so you, like, threw in front of the machines and the coaches told you what numbers to look for? And he's like, no, it didn't strike me that he's that that kind of guy. He's like, no, I just changed one cue. I went from, you know, trying to throw with velo, like trying to really muscle up and, and throw with arm speed and, and and throw it hard because he'd had the Tommy Johns and the velo didn't come back. And then the velo finally came. And so he'd been really obsessed with velo for so long. And he said, now that I kind of felt like the velo was there, um, I, I, my cue was to spin it as well as I could to just to spin the ball as much as I could. And so I think he just that one cue improved his spin efficiency, improved, improved the ride on his fastball and the drop on his curveballs. Like everything got better. And it was one little thing, one little change in the way he was thinking. So one little change, velo the same, commands pretty good, two breaking balls. You know, I was a little bit nervous about the shape of the fastball, and now I'm not. 
Shane McClanahan, come into the first round, please. We can give him Bueller's spot directly to say he's he's pick fifteen now. He's he's the pitcher you're taking at the one two turn. We still got too there. many hitters though. Yeah, we still got too many hitters. I mean, Betts stays in. I guess Tucker has to come out. Maybe Tucker is a second rounder. Tucker and Bo would both have to come out, and then Rivera has to come down just slightly. It's the only way yeah. that it's the only way the math works as it stands right now. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Acuna is a, is a, a Hall of Fame type talent. I'm sorry. <laughs> Gonna have to make room. I'm just glad him. he's healthy again. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. much more fun having him back out there doing his thing. Let's get to our prospect of the week selections. And, uh, you know, I'm going to kick it over to you first, who has caught your eye looking at the minor leagues here over the last week or so. Well, I was texting uh, a contact about Kyle Harrison and um, they were like, yeah, he's legit. It's he's ready. And, you know, he'll be up. I don't know how soon. They, nobody really wants to talk about that piece. That's like a, that's actually hard to get someone to admit. But like they're like, he's a beast. Um, and then they were like, but have you heard of Mason Black? And I had not myself. And uh, just perusing the numbers, uh, what was amazing was uh, he's given up seven earned runs for his minor league career. Now, it's only uh, 40 and a third innings, but that's still pretty nice. That's an ERA that starts with one. Uh, wicked high strikeout rates, uh, a swing strike rate over 15% for his career in the minor leagues. Uh, he's given up one home run in those 40 innings. Uh, he's he's killing it. I was looking at the Fangraphs uh, grades, and it looked like maybe he's a changeup guy. So I said, you know, uh, but is he a is he a changeup guy? Because those guys make me a little bit nervous. And he said, nope. The sweeper that everyone loves uh, right now in baseball is his main off speed. His fastball is up to 98, and it has carry and run. Two things I like to hear. Mason Black, put that in your ear hole. Prospect of the week from me. <laughs> Mason Black, good, a good sleeper, a guy good that I don't think is, is ranked on a lot of overall overall lists either. Uh, I've got a, a pitcher, Dax Fulton, in the Marlins system. The name might be a little familiar because he was a, a Tommy John high schooler that the Marlins took in the 2020 draft. They got him in the second round, and I think they signed him for an overslot bonus because he had other options, but... He's a 6'7", 225-pound lefty, and he's finally fully healthy again. Pitched a bit at high A at the end of last season. So far this year, has a K rate just under 32%. Control is solid. Hasn't a lot of home runs so far. There's big velo. There's better command than expected. And there's probably two quality secondary pitches on top of that fastball. So yet another pitcher in the Marlins system. <laughs> and probably a guy that because of the pedigree and now that he's showing he's healthy, is going to fly up prospect lists the longer the season goes on. If he keeps pitching like this, maybe a guy that pops on some top 100 lists within the next few months. That's amazing how, how tall he is. Um, the uh, I remember watching a roundtable with Eric Longenhagen at Arizona Fall League uh, and saying, and this was when people were very excited about uh, Sean Newcomb and him saying, you know, Sometimes it takes, yeah. Maybe it'll, maybe he will figure it out. But sometimes it takes these uh, really tall guys uh, longer to kind of get their limbs all going in the right direction <laughs> and like uh, figure it out. So uh, that that just occurs to me when I hear that he's six seven. But uh, real interesting arm there. 
and an organization that's done a really good job developing pitching in recent years too. So I think that gives me the extra little nudge of confidence that if I'm trying to make a trade in a dynasty league or looking to pick someone up and stash in dynasty league, it might actually be the kind of pickup that pays off in a big way. Yeah, like I'm considering uh, trading uh, for Ezekiel Tobar in um, in a in an honor league where I'm just trading away a rental and you know just taking a shot at that guy. And I was like, well, you know, I don't know how I feel. Looks pretty good. Uh, you know, I'm into him. He's we've talked about him on this podcast. And I was like, well, you know, at least he's gonna go to Colorado, probably. <laughs> you know, like at least that's where he's gonna hit when he lands. So even if it does take him a little time to get going, the the park will uh, cover it. I mean, Brandon Rogers just hit three homers, so, <laughs> uh, so I think I'm gonna take that deal pretty soon. Uh, yeah, Brendan Rogers having a, a month and a couple of days, so it's good good for him if you've been patient with Brendan Rogers so far. Andy Andy Andres, if you're listening, I, w- I will take that deal in a second. Maybe I have. One little more wrinkle to it. (laughs) Always negotiating, even through the actual pod itself. (laughs) We had a question from Clinton come in about in-season strategy, chasing or or punting wins. And he's just curious uh, how we think about wins in a Roto League. Clinton is currently 10th out of 15 teams in wins, anchored by an ace, Corbin Burns, who has been awesome but only has three wins. In a situation like this, do you start chasing more starting pitcher volume with two-star pitchers, trade for pitchers on winning teams, or just say, well, regression of the mean should improve my win totals? Thanks, Clinton. This is actually one of the harder categories to manage because if if you're doing fine ERA and whip, you don't want to push the volume too hard. If you're doing fine in strikeouts as well, right? If you're lagging in wins and strikeouts, that's when I think you start to become a little more aggressive. Because you got yeah. two categories where you're falling behind and you really can't afford to fall behind in two. I think if you're looking at wins, most leagues, almost everything I'm in right now, three or four wins is worth three or four standings points, if not more, because everything is so clustered together. So it really depends on how you're doing in the other volume pitching category. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a that's a good way to, to, to figure that one out. Um Wins are are tough, but the other thing is like positive regression should help. If you just look at last year, uh, the top 30 pitchers by Fangrass wins of rubber placement, um, you know, especially if you just look at the top 15. So you're talking about Corbin Burns, uh, you know, and his three wins. The smallest, uh, the fewest amount of wins that anybody got was 14, uh, 12, Aaron Nola, uh, but 14 with uh, Corbin Burns himself. Sandy Alcantara, Nathan Eovaldi, 13. So he should get to that sort of 12 to 14 level, which means you've got another 10 wins coming from Corbin Burns, most likely. Um, And, uh, uh, you know, there's Julio Urias leading the way with 23. You would have figured he would regress in the wins category because that's just, uh, you know, that's the outlier there. Um, But if if you're looking at your team and your top, uh, two pitchers and you think that they're you know top 20 pitchers and they have you know three or four wins like i think you know uh, as they say in french do small like you know it's 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 cool wait be 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 patient uh the wins will just come as they come in, in weird bunches and it's a terrible it's a terrible uh category to 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 to, to go after because uh you know there's two top 30 pitchers here uh, the Phillies guys, um, you know, one of them, uh, Aaron Nola got 12 wins. The other one, Zach Wheeler got 17 wins. 
I don't even think that going to a certain team, uh, you know, does that for you, figures it out for you. Yes, maybe getting away from Rays. So if you have any Rays that <laughs> you can trade away, uh, maybe try to do that. But uh, otherwise, most teams are acting about the same. Yeah, I think it's more about in-start workloads being where you want them to be. And as we were talking about Verlander earlier, his in-start workloads are fine. Like if, if his if his season workload comes up light, it's because he got hurt again, or because they've got some plan that we don't know about Sit to him manage him carefully, to, just yeah. to yeah, to keep him kind of healthy around the All-Star break or something. But they obviously they have plans on playing deep into October. He needs to be healthy and pitching well for them late in the year. That's where my little bit of concern comes from. But we mentioned it with Cole earlier. First place team, three wins, four wins. Corbin Burns, first place team, three wins. As long as they're pitching deep enough into games consistently to be in a position to win, that's all you're looking for. And both of those teams have great bullpens. I know the Yankees had a few injuries deplete a lot of their depth in the last couple of weeks. But the Brewers' A bullpen behind Corbin Burns, you're going to turn it over to some combo of of Boxberger, Williams, and and Hayter. That That should should be consistently good. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So I I would just look at a lot of the the in-start workload usage situations and make sure that there's not some kind of bad bullpen situation cratering a good pitcher. That'd be the only other thing I'm really looking for at a time like this. Got a question here from Perry. And Perry is in a 30-team dynasty league. I've never played in a league quite that deep. Mm -hmm. Well, I played in a simulation league that was about that deep because we had uh, huge minor league systems. But anyway, uh, Jack Suwinski is a player that he's interested in that league, Pirates outfielder, and he's starting to think he's almost playable. I mean, playable in a 30-team league is basically just having a job. Uh, so Perry points to the barrel rate being good and his rest of season projections calling for an improved walk rate. Is there a good tool that you can use to evaluate a player making the jump from double A? Because I think that's... I think Christopher Morell's in the same boat in Chicago, right? Where he also made the leap from double A straight to the big leagues. And so far it looks pretty interesting. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't, I don't make that much of a distinction from where they're jumping from because triple A is, uh, kind of where you stick your extra guys, you know, uh, it's kind of where you stick your, your, your third center fielder and your fourth shortstop and your, you know, fourth catcher, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't think that skipping AAA means as much as it might have in the past. Um, but I just use the same tools as I always do. Look at the the uh, chase rate and the barrel rate to to get a sense of their their sense of the zone, and then their maybe their swing strike rate and their strikeout rate to get a sense of their ability to make contact. I think Sawinski's uh, possible failing there is um, is that contact ability. So I'm not sure that he's going to hit for a great average, but you know, looking at that chase rate where it is, it's at least average or a little bit better. Uh, I and then looking at his history of walk rates in minor leagues, I would assume that the walk rate would come up, uh, get him an OBP at least over 300 uh, to to pair with uh, decent power. So I liked him better, for example, than uh, the other pirate call up, um, Cal Mitchell. Um, and so, you know, that's just, just, you know, kind of perusing their different skill sets and stats. Uh, I'll take Sawinski. Yeah. I'm a lot like you, I think, in that I don't really worry about making the leap from double A and I'm just looking at the core skills. I think 
Morel is not only showing power and speed, but he's not swinging at a ton of pitches outside the zone. A 28.6% O-swing percentage is really good for a guy seeing big league pitching for the first time. He's got a double-digit walk rate. Plenty of opportunities for the Bell Cubs right now, too. rate is a little too. bit low, but it, you know, with the max EV over at 113 uh, and 67 plate appearances, I'm going to give him more time to, to show that barrel rate, especially with the 259 ISO in uh, in AA this year. So, Yeah, um, and the hard hit rate's not bad. 45.2% hard hit rate for Morrell. Like I I think he's, hold, he's more than holding his own right now, and how much time that buys him? I mean, probably three or four weeks. Like he could have a massive slump and go back down or go see AAA for the first time. That's entirely possible, but he's I moved some, up. He's been, I put some NFC bids in on him. I, 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 I've got a couple of shares where I was just like, you know, there's enough here that's good. And, uh, and I think he's, he's addable in all 15 team leagues and he's, he's knocking on the door for 12 team leagues, especially if like you just kind of need to get lucky on somebody, especially with a little bit of speed, right? Mm-hmm. So if you if you're looking to, to get lucky, I think in a 12 team, I like I would I drop like a Joey Votto for him. I don't know, uh, but uh, that's the kind of decision you're making in 12 team leagues. So it always comes back to Votto. 12 <laughs> is tough, but that he's leading off again, I think, is pretty interesting. Just Votto? giving him a, a no, that's uh, morale no. that he's leading off now. That's just they had, that's there was huge. a really cool little uh, bit tidbit going around Twitter today. Um, that he was about to step to the plate in a um, in a walk off scenario. In an yeah, innings. yeah, it was tenth inning game against and the. And he looked yeah. back at Wilson Contreras, uh, and Wilson Contreras that like said, "Take a deep breath." Like, just did he didn't say anything, but he kind of was like, "Breathe in, take a deep breath." And Morel like like did exactly what he said. Did a, took a deep breath, walked to the plate, and hit a walk off sack fly. So it was a veteran presence moment. It's important to have that. Helps those young players along. Well, Perry had one other question that I think is a little more of a, a broadly interesting question for people. He's got Shane Boz, Grayson Rodriguez, and Edward Cabrera either on the brink of returning from injury or on the brink of debuting in the case of Rodriguez or in the case of Cabrera had recently debuted. With Boz, like, my expectations are that he can be everything we hoped he could be at the end of last year. So I, I have no... And unless we get some kind of indication that there's lost velo or something, there's nothing has changed my expectations for Shane Boz. Rodriguez just got hurt. He left to start with a, a lat strain, I think is what they finally diagnosed him with. So it might be a bit longer before we get a chance to see him in the big leagues. But Edward Cabrera is kind of the wild card in all oh this because stuff's really good. mile an hour changeup. That was ridiculous. Stuff is, is a change pure up. filth. By movement differential, it is a changeup. Is it? I don't think the the control issues we saw last year because we hadn't really seen those in most of his stops in the minor leagues. I don't think that's really who he is as a player. I'm curious what pitching plus sees in terms of his ability to locate. Yeah, uh, I don't have today's. I don't have yesterday's numbers in yet. Um, but uh, I do. I always had him down as a guy that um, was a good bet. Because he had the good command numbers, I mean the good stuff numbers, uh, and location takes longer to stabilize. So, uh, you know, you kind of you kind of read between the lines and say, here's a guy with a low walk rate, good stuff, you know, and you know, weird poor location numbers in a small sample last year. He was definitely a guy that you know, I was like, that's that's a guy you want to bet on right there. <laughs> so uh, now he's up and he looks beautiful. <laughs> 
uh the the changeup is amazing because it's nice 95 miles an hour and so that's like a three to four mile gap off his fastball and you might say well that's just a sinker well sinkers are more like one to two miles an hour gap and so it's a slightly bigger gap but then you say well what if it's just like a a, a power sinker and you say with the, just a bigger gap well it has a 10 uh 10 inch vertical difference between uh his fastball and his changeup um, and that was in, in cores, so it could be it could be bigger than that. The average vertical difference between a fastball and even a sinker, a four seam and a sinker, is is half that. So it it, it did uh, lead to some interesting discussion on Twitter about creating a new category, especially over at BP, where they have a sweeper category on their uh, pitch FX leaderboards. Uh, so now they have a sweeper. Uh, we have cutters and sliders. Uh, and yet we only have basically change up and split finger. And is there room for a new uh, pitch designation? And uh, what should we call it? Um, a splinker. Uh, uh, Not that. A, 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 a sync up. Nope. No. <laughs> I, I think probably the best one is just power change. I, I think of those three options, <laughs> I like power change the best. That sounds pretty simple as far as explaining what it actually is and right, why it's exactly. so different <laughs> yeah. yeah i think i think the hybrid words is we don't we don't want any more hybrid words <laughs> jammed in there it's like all the baseball nicknames a rod e rod b rod c rod enough rods yeah, <laughs> yeah. enough rods inanimate rod thanks for those questions perry uh one more item to get to it's time for beer of the month Especially our since first you're in of san the diego year. i'm in san diego so i'm gonna gonna need some guidance you know i'm yeah I'm, I'm downtown gas lamp that area i got i got access to the the good stuff i think around here but i did have a recommendation closer to home air quotes off screen um at home home is you know temporarily at least it's it's the bay area and there was a really good brewery that i stumbled into this week in san carlos so kind of a mid peninsula place and it's blue oak brewing and they had a little bit of everything. They had a they had a, a barrel aged Belgian that my father in law really liked. I didn't try that one. Uh, they had some good hazies. The one I really liked was temporal displacement. And I would say, uh, in terms of, of like a comp, it's it's probably close to like an Alvarado Street quality place. Like I, I thought the beer was at that sort wow. of level. So definitely worth the stop. And I made another stop just the the day before that because I've been on vacation for a few days at Hoppus Brewing, and they have multiple locations. I think their main brewery is in San Jose, and they have a second location, a tap room in Los Gatos. So I was at the the smaller one in Los Gatos, and I would say that's worth a stop if you're in the area as well. But the thing that they both do, both of these breweries did, they've got hard seltzers on tap. And I think we talked about this maybe, I don't know, a month or not a month ago. Last time we had beer of the month, which was probably like six months ago, it's I think increasingly important for breweries to have some alternatives available for people who don't necessarily like beer. Like I realize that you go to a brewery for beer, but not everyone in your group is excited about beer. My wife likes this hard seltzer thing. Yeah. So they had a, like a blackberry hard seltzer, I think nice. at Hoppus. They had a watermelon lime one at, at Blue Oak and, and those were both really good. I just, the, and they also had a, a non-alcoholic hop water at Hoppus. And I'd never actually seen that anywhere before. So I think that was basically like a seltzer that would 
have Lagunitas some beer has qualities. A good one. Uh, hop, I think it's even called hop water or something, but Lagunitas has one that's really good and that, that's uh, packaged and sent around. So if you're looking for a non-alcoholic brew, that's actually, I like that better than non-alcoholic beers because mm-hmm. uh, it's almost something different. It, it gives you the sense of beer, but it's it doesn't make you think, well, this is not as good as the real thing because it's not the real thing. It's something else. It's hop water. <laughs> yeah, and I thought the hop water was just a really good idea because it's like, you know you want to have a DD, right? You can't always get a ride from Lyft, yeah. Uber, whatever, wherever you're going. You can't always walk back to where you're going, but your driver might want to have something not plain water. So hop water, I think, is a really good way to to offer up something different. Here's something Uberable for anybody that is visiting Stanford or on the peninsula and they want the best beer experience they can have. I think I've got one for you, including Blue Oak. I think you can, uh, without incurring too much cost, and in fact, uh, by using the train, um, I believe you can hit all of these with varying degrees of ease uh, because the train, it depends on the stops and stuff. But uh, you could go to Blue Oak Brewing uh, and Ale Arsenal in San Carlos. And in fact, Ale Arsenal is right next to the Refuge, which has amazing pastrami sandwiches. So if you wanted to eat there and then drink at Ale Arsenal, you do, you do well. Ale Arsenal has beers to go, which is fun. Then you can stop by the best beer bar on the peninsula, Gourmet Hausstadt, and that's in Redwood City, uh, just uh, you know, a few miles down uh, uh, the the street from there. Uh, and they've got beers to go. They usually have Cellar Maker to go, so you could hit up basically the best beer bar and uh, best brewery in the uh, in the peninsula. Uh, within uh, two stops on the train there um, or uh, a, a pretty easy uh, uh, Uber situation, depending on on where you're staying and wh- where you're living. But uh, that's uh, kind of a cool little beer corridor there uh, that you've uh, uncovered. My, yeah. my beer of uh, the month, I was looking through uh, my pictures and um, the honorable mentions uh, go to other half 11 pounds, which I had on the beach the other day um, and showed up because of the Firestone Walker Invitational. So other half and Trillium, the other, uh, the Nelson Dry Hopped Fort Point. (laughs) Uh, Those two uh, were in town because of uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Firestone Walker Invitational. Also the best uh, beer festival that I've ever been to. And I've been to, the big ones, the one in Colorado. All I've been to a lot of beer festivals. I'm kind of, kind of out on them. It's kind of annoying. Uh, very crowded. Uh, very drunk people. Uh, lines. Uh, but the Firestone Walker Invitational is cool because uh, they. It's invitational, and it was. It's not like oh, hey, this brewery owned by a- Anheuser InBev can give us like fifteen thousand dollars for a corner uh, booth or whatever. They're they're like, no, we want other half because we like their beers, and we want this because we like their beers. So they have excellent, excellent beers. I would say it's the best uh, beer festival, and it might be this weekend. But any case, the winner. <laughs> I I could talk. I love beer. Uh, the winner uh, is one that my mother sent me. Hi, mom. Uh, she sent me this great one, church music uh, from the Shop Beer Company in Arizona. Um, and I believe you mentioned that was uh, in, in Tempe. 
Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it was just a really good hazy. And it, from a place that does not uh, necessarily uh, always register nationally for sure. And even in Arizona, I think most people uh, think of Phoenix as uh, the spot for great beer and might even uh, put Flagstaff at, at, at second place because of um, some of the great breweries up there. Uh, Tower Road is, is one of my favorites. Uh, but yeah, shop beer company, uh, church music. Thanks, mom. Beer of the month. Yeah, if your mom is sending you beer, uh, your life is pretty not good. Not something I, I predicted. No, I did not predict no. this. No. But it is fun. No. Yeah, she was just like, I really like this beer. I'm going to send it to you. I'm like, yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to go. And uh, I have to take care of a few San Diego business-related matters. No, I'm going to go to the bar and yes. enjoy some of these delicious beers in just a couple of hours. But produce this podcast and go do that. You can walk to Half Door, Lost Abbey, the church one that I was at that's so great, uh, and uh, get a, a quick Uber to uh, North Park and Pure mm-hmm. Project, and you're getting most of the best beer in San Diego. It's a good spot to be, but uh, if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, we'd greatly appreciate that. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to hit the like button and subscribe to this channel. On Twitter, you can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.